world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Should, we, should Aldo and I just like pin notes to the like <laughs> our un, like uh, like our underwear or something on the inside uh, keep on our person at all times that say like if if it is found that we are murdered and Stephen Bradford was the one who did it know that he had good reason <laughs> <laughs> and it should be at least argued down to manslaughter. <laughs> oh God! Oh wait, you don't yes. already have that? Well, I mean, I have the other note. <laughs> That said, Stephen did it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I I got that one tattooed just in case I'm found naked. Yeah, yeah I have a uh, I have a, a QR code on my upper thigh <laughs> that links right to our podcast, so there's plenty of evidence. <laughs> and they're just gonna be like, Ah, yes, yes. Well, he did have it ah, coming. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, now that I've listened to uh, 63 episodes of this podcast. Yeah. Absolutely makes sense. I do not yeah. blame him. <laughs> That's just the court case. The course is. It's just the, the it's song just he had it co- The song he had it coming from now, Chicago uh, just starts playing. I, I was gonna say it's just the jury listening to like sixty-five episodes of the Superhuman yeah. Registration podcast. Yeah, they're like, well, well, they they pushed him too far. Yeah, yeah. We find on, on counts of manslaughter, we find Stephen not guilty. However. We find them absolutely guilty for liking Civil War too much. <laughs> and it did deserve its place in the list. <laughs> so, okay, last time, the last time that I heard the Cell Block Tango, which is the He Had It Coming song from Oh, is that what it's Chicago, called? Act like it's I... called Cell Block Tango. Last time I heard it, it was a video clip on Twitter, but, you know, the song opens with the, the women, and they're, like, using, like, a little word from their murder story. Pop. Six. Squish. Uh-uh. Like, they're doing that. It was somebody took that, like, took the song, but instead of those little words, they had Trump going, person, woman, man, <laughs> camera, uh, uh, TV. He had it coming. <laughs> oh, it was really good. And uh, that man is an idiot. And welcome to the Superhuman Registration <laughs> Podcast. It's after elections, and we're feeling... Well, I'm not going to say good, but... I mean, I feel better, better than I have in the last, like, four years. Do you know what it is? Like, the feeling of sneaky dread is gone, right? Like, it was this background anxiety. Like, anything good that happened, you'd be like, yeah, but he's going to start lynching people. You just know it. There was just, like, this quiet, like, background voice being like, don't get too comfortable. And, uh... You know, the worry that I'd have to, like, flee to Vancouver and be like, yeah, they film everything here, but ugh, it's just not the same. <laughs> I do know that uh, I think one of my favorite tweets I've seen so far has been, like, uh, Trump losing the election and like waiting waiting for Biden to become president is like watching a horror movie. And they've killed the monsters, but there's still 20 minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh, yeah, and unfortunately, we're in minute 19 now, and things are wild, so we're distracting ourselves with some comics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and 
Gosh, these are weird books, guys. You don't say. You know, that's one way to say it, yeah. Goodness, where do we want to start? So we got we got weird books today. Well, do we want to end on a positive, or do we want to go down swinging? You know, with my opinions of that, I'm pretty sure I don't know what books you're referring to in what order. I know! It actually <laughs> could be either. <laughs> I recommend we start with, uh, with Riot. Okay. Okay, so I'll take this then. We're starting by talking about uh, New X-Men... Numbers 135 through 138, Riot at Xavier's. This is, so I've read all of this before, and the section of the story that is marked Riot at Xavier's is kind of weird. Uh, so we we join the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters while they are dealing with a particularly problem student, young man by the name of by the name of Quentin Quire. Uh, Quire recently learned that he is adopted. He's going through a bit of an identity crisis. Uh, there is a bit of a stir in the mutant community because a mutant fashion designer named Jumbo Carnation recently was killed in an apparent uh, like bigoted assault. He was, he was the victim of a hate crime. And Quentin's not handling this well. He goes through this bizarre phase where he starts trying to be very, very antagonistic with Professor X. He shows up to class wearing a shirt that says Magneto was right. He organizes some of his classmates into a gang that goes out and fights with humans. He starts taking this drug called Kick that enhances mutant powers, but also causes a little bit of madness because it's a comic book drug. He develops this like gang uniform that is based on this fashion that was worn by old newspaper depictions of mutants that's so it's like this is what mutants will look like when they are your overlords and so we humans have to organize against them quentin takes that outfit and wears it when he goes out on his little raids and he's causing a lot of problems making the the faculty of the xavier school for youngsters very very concerned meanwhile there's this weird little side story where the newest x-man um man named Zorn, whose mutant powers are apparently he has a star for a brain and that lets him do things. It's not super well explained. He takes the quote-unquote special class out on a trip where they get attacked by some really bizarre cult that believes that mutants are the next step in human evolution and so the best way for humans to continue to survive is to harvest mutant organs and stick them in themselves. So they get attacked by these mutant hunters the special class which is full of these really bizarre kind of uh uh outcast mutants a lot they're basically the ugly mutants the the ones that don't fit in with with the they don't pass they don't have passing privilege i guess is the way to say that um which makes me feel really bad about calling them the ugly mutants a little bit ago anyway uh they wind up teaming up to kind of protect each other and protect themselves uh, while Zorn takes out the, the, the mutant hunters in this very sort of violent display that we don't see, but we see kind of the impact that it has on one of these special class kids. Uh, cut back to the Xavier Institute, and Quentin Quire and his gang, they actually take over the school on a day that it's having an open house to invite humans to come and actually attend the school, uh, Quentin kidnaps Professor X, puts a helmet on him that actually blocks his telepathy. Uh, he mind blasts Wolverine and kind of throws him for a loop. Starts a riot at the school. 
his his other gang members start attacking the the human visitors. The whole thing kind of wraps up when Emma Frost gives a speech that inspires her favorite students, the uh, Stepford Cuckoos, which is a set of uh, quintuplets who are identical quintuplet telepathic teenage girls. They decide that they're going to try to help quell this riot. They go, they use Cerebro and use it to kind of break Quentin's control over things and distract him long enough for uh, Professor X to kind of break out of everything. They take Quentin down, but in the process, one of the cuckoos actually dies. The whole thing is kind of a disaster. It prompts Professor X to say, you know, at the end of this semester, I'm going to step down from the school. The story ends with the cuckoos deciding that they've had enough of Emma, and they decide to tattle on Emma to Jean Grey because Emma and Scott are having a psychic affair, and that bothers Jean Grey because... Cyclops is kind of her husband at this point in the story, and that's where the story ends. It's a cliffhanger. There's a lot that's going on, and it's, you know, part of a Grant Morrison meta arc. He does like to do a lot of things. He plays the long game very well. And so there are bits and pieces that are picking up from earlier stories and a lot of stuff that seeds into future stuff. But I think as a standalone story, the bits where Quentin is leading the riot actually do work pretty well. So, real fast, let's go through the, the creative team. So, we've got Grant Morrison as the writer. The art, including the covers, is Frank Quitely, who is good artist. He's a really good artist. I really is it, like is it Quitely or Quietly? Oh, wait. I, I, know how, I know how to read. Never mind. Yeah, you're, it's you're actually quite not right. his real name. It's a pun. Like, it's his pen name, he, and it's a pun on Quite Frankly. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually intentional. Uh. <laughs> uh, colors by Chris Chukri, uh, inks by Tim Townsend, and letters by Saida Temofonte and Richard Starkings. So, a lot to, to unpack there. And there's a lot of other things, little moments that we could talk about. What did you guys think of New X-Men? You know, you... I, um, I feel like this is your fault. Because... Um, <laughs> Because you were all like, this is probably the best uh, story arc from, from this run. And I was just left a little. Eh. <laughs> felt okay. That's fair. Uh, I mean, it, it's not it's, it's not bad. It just wasn't. Um, like, I don't, I don't want to say it was grandiose because it's ambitious. It's trying, it's, it's trying to do something that like, I feel like the world of X-Men constantly tries to do. But it's kind of nice to see it done at a much more personal, intimate scale, which is prove Xavier wrong. Um, yep. <laughs> and so we we typically get that like, you know, like the world is constantly proving him wrong and like people die because of it and so forth and so forth. And it's kind of nice to see like somebody, like a person who is close to him and is almost a mirror of him, uh, just kind of force him to be able to like to see that. Um, so like that was interesting but I, I think my main problem with this book is that a lot of it rides on Quentin Quire. And boy, do I not like that little snot-faced son of a mutant. <laughs> I think that's his, that's his point. Like, he's always that, you know, thorn in whoever side is in charge. Like he's I just... didn't like him. I didn't like him in that Wolverine, when Wolverine was the headmaster in that reboot. And Even when like he took him, him gambling in space. I do not remember that. They went to, like, a... He, Wolverine needed money for the school, 
So they took some money, went to space. He used choir to um, help him gamble because, you know, he's really a powerful telepath. And uh, they barely got out of there, if I remember. I think they were, they like, someone caught on to them and then, yeah, they barely escaped. And then at one point, choir had armor or another student and uh, Wolverine trapped inside of their own minds like he was he was running some kind of interference with them where like they thought they were like in a war or something but really they were just like you know in their own rooms or something he was just trying to get away with whatever he wanted to do and so while he's like going to class and stuff in his mind he's keeping wolverine at bay it was i don't know i yeah he's a jerk yeah he's a weasel but i have always enjoyed reading him whenever he pops up in the x-men that i've read and this this whole run kind of takes place right before where I started getting more into X-Men and like the pieces that I've gone back and read. And I've kind of avoided Grant Morrison because people who I thought like knew about comics, except for Steven, um, said they didn't <laughs> like it. And then Steven was always like, no, it's great. And um, Grant Morrison is, I think, one of my favorite comic book writers. I need to give more of his stuff a chance. I, I had a, I read it or listened to an interview uh, with Grant Morrison and... Um, I could hear that, that Glaswegian accent like all day, every day, all the time. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> but yeah. uh, actually, I, and I don't know if you know this, but uh, Frank Whiteley is also from uh, Scotland. From Glasgow. Really? Yeah. That's great. So that actually probably explains why they work together a lot, now that yeah. I think about it. Oh, just something real fast, because this was in the news, I think, just recently. Um Grant Morrison actually uh, came out recently as uh, non-binary, so uh, prefers they/them pronouns. For that's, what that's I for. just I just literally this second when I was pulling up Grant Morrison's um, Wikipedia page just to confirm some like you know bio details or whatever they have that that's already everything is the pronouns have all been updated so they uh, yeah they yeah. I think I think they confirmed that. That's how they had felt since they were like ten. I think they said twelve. Yeah, just uh, there yeah. weren't there wasn't the language back then because he was born in nineteen sixty or they were born in nineteen sixty. So right, but this is news. Like I think the yes. pronoun thing was just established within the past week, maybe. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, they, just, they just wanted something. to make sure that we got that in there while we're since we're talking about grandma. Yeah, it's gonna be a little hard uh, to get over that language because I'm so used to referring to them as as he. Right. Him. Right. So, yeah. Please yeah. forgive us if, if I. Yeah, we we are trying because you know. I had, I had a friend who also, uh, came out as as non-binary, and let me tell you, those first couple weeks, there was a lot of apologizing on my end, uh, <laughs> but eventually, I, I eventually was able to do it, because it doesn't really require a whole lot. <laughs> so like, if you don't do it, you're just, you're just kind of a Quentin Choir, aren't you? i've been trying to fall back on like if i say dude i mean everybody everybody's a dude i'm a dude he's a dude she's a dude we're all dudes right Mm. we don't have good this isn't the podcast for that but i'm just gonna tell you my my gut reaction is no well really i said i phrased it like that's a that's a good burger quote so i never yeah i I get i get the intent behind it uh, but yeah 
I I want to be I want to be good and nice. <laughs> I never want to be mean. It's it's a slip of the tongue and not an intent of like. <laughs> I pro- I'm not gonna pull back my face and like all of a sudden it's an orange face with a red hat. I promise, no. Oh gosh. Okay. All right. Let's take this back to the story. How about? I would have got away with it too. Here's what I want to say. I I liked this a lot. I really liked this enough to like want to read all of Grant Morrison's run because. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect to. I had read some of it previously and didn't get a good impression. It was kind of odd, and I, I, I think I might have jumped in at the wrong point. Um, I still don't like that Beast looks like a cat. That makes me upset. <laughs> He's supposed to be, like, primate-esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what it is? It's not even that. He's supposed to look like he did in the 92 X-Men series, which, accurate or not, that's what I think is canon. That's what I... That is what is gospel to me, whether it's, you know, right in the whole history of uh, Marvel Comics or not. I don't care. That's just me personally, my gripes. But I, uh, I enjoyed this. I liked it. I thought that it was... You know, you have choir on one side bringing up good points, but being a jerk about it and like doing drugs and, and, you know, out there like hurting people. And then you have Xavier who like is doing his usual thing and it's never enough and he's trying his best and, you know, it's, it's unsatisfying. It's like, no, you should be, you could be doing more and you're not, but you like, you, you're, it's in the name of like, you know, keeping the peace, but here we are like, you know, 16 million uh, mutants died on Genosha and Magneto's dead at this point. And so there's, um, you know, good conflict there. Yeah. Is, is Quentin Quire supposed to be, I don't know, kind of, kind of like a, I don't know, like an analog to, um, the main character from Clockwork Orange, because I get, I feel, I get that vibe, and I don't I know. I think if that's what me. they were going for, and I think that gets a little bit more explicit with uh, Wolverine's recommendation when the faculty all gets together, because Wolverine is like, you know, this is a phase he's going through. He's going to grow out of it. Let him grow out of it, uh, which is weirdly enough the explicit message of the Clockwork Orange novel. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it is like, I don't know. It's somewhat intentional, I think, that you you went that way, Aldo, because I think he is kind of set up to be like that. Someone who doesn't like the world that he's getting handed, doesn't understand his place in it, and therefore just decides to violently rage against it, right? It's like a rage against a machine of sorts? <laughs> kind of, yes. One of the things, this is just a side note, because we're still, it's, you know, November 10th, we're still coming out of the election. <laughs> There was a video of some Trump supporters dancing very poorly, but dancing to Rage Against the Machine, dancing <laughs> to dancing to Killing in the Name of, and and wanting to. It was like you don't get what that song's about at all. Like you, you <laughs> no, no. Like you, oh, I was so mad, and like I'm gonna I'm gonna tell Tom Morello, and you're gonna be in trouble. That's what oh Tom Tom Morello actually did respond to that tweet. Well, he, he like, I, this happened previously, but, like, did he respond to, like, what just happened over this last week, too? Uh, well, he responded to that video specifically, and he was just, like, he, I think his response was, like, uh, I don't think this is what we were going for when we wrote this song. <laughs> I mean, they were dancing to Killing in the Name of while wearing a Blue Lives Matter flag. Yeah. Which is, which is like, the dumbest thing. Some of those that burnt crosses are the same that hold office. Like, it's in the, it's in the song. Oh no, he's just angry yelling. It's just noise. It's fine. 
gosh. You know, it's that kid's um, rock and roll. Anyway, I'm so, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I just that... But I think here's the thing though, John, what you're saying is kind of topical like to the podcast because the weird thing about Quentin Quire is that he kind of has a point because Yeah. It, and that's one of the things that kind of frustrates me about the story um because the mutants are living in this society and they're you know professor x is all about non-violent uh advocacy trying to get humans and mutants to coexist peacefully and quentin points out rightly that the humans don't have the best track record of honoring promises made to mutants of treating mutants like they're equal they don't get treated like equals throughout the criminal justice system and you know you get into that whole mutants as metaphor for the you know, real-world suffering and all of that. And another example of how that's super imperfect here, because the at the end of the story, you know, Quentin's gang, they're just all frustrated because the humans killed Jumbo Carnation, but it turns out, no, Jumbo Carnation died of an overdose of, of kick. So oh, The same drug that they're using. The same drug that they're using. And so, frankly, like, the message is kind of undercut, right? Yeah, yeah that's kind of a problem, I feel, that, like... Marvel books have, and it's been made more apparent the more like I talk sp- specifically uh, with Stephen about like a lot of these uh, like moral X Men books, is that it feels like it feels like Marvel is a little afraid to like put a foot down and say like this one thing is wrong or this one thing is right, and it feels like they they almost always end up undercutting their own messages, and that happened. Like the last time, or at least the last time I I can think of, off the top of my head at this very moment in time, um, <laughs> is Civil War. There's a lot of messages yeah. in there that are undercut that undercut themselves because of what happens in the story or the way that the story's told. Yep. Yeah, and and it it's so funny. Like reading this story from you know the other side of the George Floyd protests and. Uh, you know, all of the the sort of general knowledge that has arisen with, uh, you know, race issues in the United States. And it's just so interesting that you kind of come around to agreeing with Quentin that Professor X is wrong to some extent. Like, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say Professor X is wrong to pursue nonviolence. Um, yeah. But at the same time, the way that Charles is so dismissive of the younger generation and of their ideas and of the problems that they're saying, no, look, you need to pay attention to this. And I, th- and I think he also brings up a good point. And it's that like in trying to like obtain peace by peaceful, by nonviolent methods, Xavier himself has also led a lot of people to their deaths. Yeah. And the fact that he won't change or admit that really is, is kind of part of the, the problem on top of everything else. That's a bigger part of the problem. And and I think that message also gets a little lost because it happens in this book, but it's not Charles's fault this time. It's it's uh, oh, what is her name? Emma, Emma Frost. Thank you. I was gonna call her Emma Gray, and I don't know where that came from. Because of Jean Gray. Ah, uh, yeah. There you go. I can see why Scott has that problem now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he's like, I love you. Gene and in his head he's like, "Oh, I almost said Emma," and she's like, "You almost said Emma," you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, cause she's, you know, she also has like this this whole thing where she wants to be a teacher, 
Uh, but and a, has been a teacher. And has been a teacher, yeah. right? Throughout X-Men history, yeah. And apparently, because I don't really, I'm not really uh, up on my Emma Frost history. <laughs> apparently it's not very good. She's led a lot of, just like Xavier, she's led a lot of people to the death. And it's probably because yeah. she's, but it's, I feel like it's almost the opposite situation where she's more aggressive about these kids, like defending themselves and maybe not being properly, you know, trained for the situations that she throws them in. And that's why they die. And that's definitely true of the cuckoos, right? Yeah, yeah. And they were put in a very dangerous situation. They weren't properly... Well, I don't know that they weren't properly trained, but they were just kind of put up against the corner. And they did what they thought would be the right solution. And it was, but it came at the cost of one of the one of the cuckoos. I, now, I thought they were clones of Emma Frost for some reason. They are. I don't think that was revealed at this point in the story yet. Oh, okay. okay. I thought okay. they were as yeah, well. Spoiler, spoiler alert for... You know, almost a 20-year-old story. Also, I yeah. wanted to correct myself. In a live version of Killing in the Name of, they say some of those that burn crosses are the same that hold office, but the real lyrics are some of those that work forces are the same that burn cross. I just wanted to make sure that people listening know that I know that I know that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm already in trouble being, you know, <laughs> a white dude. <laughs> like, you're good. You're good. <laughs> So I guess uh, maybe in I mean I guess it would be insensitive if they were real people, but they're not because these are all fictional characters and little comic books. Uh, how many cuckoos are left at this point in time? Like three, three, yeah. Like in today. So, spoiler alert: the cuckoos, Quentin Quire, uh, Beak, who is in and out of prominence in the X Men, they're all introduced in the Grant Morrison run. Quire and two of the cuckoos. Don't make it out of the run alive. Okay, but then okay, Mister Mister Smart Man back somehow. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> I have no idea. How. Yeah, like he ha- he has some sort of connection with the Phoenix Force, apparently. Of, of course, there's a lot about Quentin Quire that I don't know because I think this might actually be the only story he's in that I've read. He pops up in Wolverine and the X Men a lot. Um, and, yep. and back to like wearing a you know being kind of the same. Um, you know, what's the opposite of teacher's pet? It's not a class clown either. He's just like a pain, um, and wearing his Magneto was right shirt. Cause I, I've, you know, seen that at comic cons and it's updated from this, but, uh, I think the three of the cuckoos are still alive and Quentin's back. I haven't seen beak in a while, probably cause I don't like beak. <laughs> I think that like, if you're going to have a character that has to be some sort of visual appeal and I get that, like some mutants, their problem is that they like look so different or monstrous or whatever that it's harder for them to assimilate into society like you know yeah <laughs> there's that great post where storm from the movie was like there's nothing wrong with any of us and it's like yeah storm who can command all the all the powers of nature telling the girl who can't touch anyone is like you know she might put him into a coma yeah <laughs> like, there's nothing wrong with us it's stupid um yeah but beak beak was just in the whole thing it was like is he a bird or a skull? And it was just hard to look at because he was just so gross looking. And like, maybe that means that I'm wrong, but also he's a fictional character and I want to read a comic book with cool <laughs> pictures and it was gross. So. Yeah, I, I will say, and kind of going back, because we've been focusing a lot on Quentin Quire's, you know, main story, right? Which is obviously the main point of the story. And I, and I kind of want to touch on like the, uh, you know, the Breakfast Club uh, kids later. Yeah. Uh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think, kind of going back to the whole idea of Quentin's own message, or I guess story, being undercut by by the writers, 
as I feel there's other ways, there were other ways to really emphasize that he was wrong. He was wrong in his actions, but not wrong in his, you know, message, I guess. Yeah. And I think, because yeah. I'm, because I promise I'm coming back around to stuff we've been talking about. I think the death of one of the, the cuckoos, which was, uh, was it Esma? I think Esme. I thought it was Esme? Sophie. It sure. Sophie. Sophie. Uh, Sophie dying. She's the one that Quentin had a crush on. Unless I read that wrong, right? He had a crush no, on her. I think you're right on that. And I think yeah. that would have been a really good way to emphasize that, like, yeah, like, your your message is, is right, but your actions are wrong because you're waging a war. And when you wage a war, innocents die. And Esme or Sophie would have been, uh, this. I hate this, too, because then you also, you're fridging a strong female character for somebody else's story. But I think it would have worked in, in kind of emphasizing that, like, because of your actions, not only did you like do this, but the, you know the person you liked died. Um, yeah. But then you are also not even dangerously close. You are extremely in the borders of Fridgeland, and and I don't know. There's no perfect solution here because I'm not a writer. So you know whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I checked yeah. it was Sophie, but okay. Okay, it was Sophie. Esme is the other one who actually has kind of her own arc. Um, at one point, they do dye their hair to help readers and you know, so. <laughs> i gotta i gotta speak up a little bit in favor of beak here who is one of my favorites uh, yeah, let me, the breakfast let me club kind of get into it just a little bit um or are they or are they more like the brunch lunch the, the brunch bunch <laughs> i don't know but in the movie anthony michael hall plays plays one heck of a fart in a space suit so <laughs> wait what <laughs> movie are you talking about <laughs> he's making a joke about the breakfast club. oh my goodness i am so, i am dense <laughs> Unlike the fart in a suit. <laughs> Beak is a character that I think looks really good by the end of the Morrison arc. Here, like, if you just take this bit of the the special class, like, if you just take this bit of their story out of context, out of the context of the rest of the run, and in particular how the run ends, I actually don't think it works that well. Well, good thing for my my side of the argument, because that's all we read for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> it's I Beak winds up being a really interesting character because he like starts to stand up for himself, he stands up to the villains, and he does it without having like superpowers. Because yeah. uh, Beak's mutation is mostly liability. He's ugly. He has hollow bones like a bird, and he's light like a bird, but he doesn't actually have wings and he can't fly. So, like, he, he's got a mutation that makes him, like, physically weaker. He is not a combatant. Um, and yet, he is... He's got a lot of heart, a lot of soul, and he stands up emotionally and morally has the high ground and it's really kind of impressive he does kind of the cyclops thing without having the ability to look at someone and break their nose but none of that comes through here really except he has the ability to you know seal the the fart in a bag shut with a condom so <laughs> yeah yeah and then and then you know what you know what though he says he says he says no and he means no and when the girl like tries to force force kind of herself on him and kind of guilt him into uh, having a physical relationship, he stands his ground, and I think that's surprising. Not, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Surprisingly progressive for especially the X Men when you have like this relationship, this like uh, psychic cheating uh, 
relationship going on. So I think it's, I don't know, I think it's a little admirable but, to have a character that says no and mean it and then defend himself against it. But at the end of the run, isn't Angel pregnant? And she's yeah, telling him, like, like oh. Listen, don't you undercut me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you're totally right in that scene, but then stuff happens off screen, uh, off panel, rather, um, where we're led to believe that, uh, you know, Beak's going to have a nest. <laughs> he does. Is that like an actual nest? Because that would be great. Yep. Um, Yay! His, oh, I was joking. Really? Are, yeah, his babies are hideous. Uh, of course but, they are. Actually, anyway. so, ooh, okay, can I say something about uh, how ugly Beak is? <laughs> how ugly is he? Okay, it's not that he's ugly. I mean, but he is. Because I, I, I don't know if, if that, if Beak rescued me, I don't know if I'd want to be rescued. Um, oh, gosh. I, man, that is a birdless bird head uh, no that's not a pretty sight um what i was gonna say though is as i was reading this book i was not that i like i love frank quietly's art i think all-star superman i think the art i don't i'm not gonna say pulls a lot of weight because i think the writing is so strong in all-star superman but i think the art does such a great job at enhancing that mm-hmm. uh so when i when i read this I was reminded that I do not like Frank Quietly's art on children. Oh. But everybody else that is not a child in this, I think looks really good. And to kind of, you know, further push the point, I think Bird, oh, not Bird, uh, Beak uh, and Zorn look really good, uh, you know, visually with uh, Quietly's art. Quietly. I keep saying quietly, but. I hated the art, but. Oh gosh! I did really like All Star Superman, um, but the faces all look off to me. Um, the eyes are too small. The features are too small in general. Um, the the line work is kind of it's not as bold as I think it should be. Uh, it works because I care about the characters and the story was compelling, and so I was more like, "What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next?" Boy, Beak is ugly. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? You know? Yeah. So it didn't, I mean, I'm I'm happy that you liked it. I hated it. I, and that's the thing. It's like, I really like his art. I'm not a fan of his art when it comes to children. I don't think he, because, because I think those features on the kid don't really translate with his art all that well. And that was one of my problems when he did Batman and Robin, uh, another Grant Morrison book, speaking of. And uh, I think Damian Wayne only looks good when he has the mask on. Other than that, he looks a little, a little disconcerting. Um, but I'm also trying to think of that other book he did. It was another Superman book, and he drew him to look like Christopher Reeves, and that is probably one of my favorite, uh, like visually, one of my favorite Superman books. And I hate that I can't remember what book that was. Interesting. I can't think of what it would be. Those those movies are long. You know, two of those. No, I'm not talking about anything past the second one. Don't get it twisted. No. <laughs> two, there were two Superman movies, and boy, they should have made some more. Hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> Another thing that I want to say that I like about this book, um, I think Cyclops comes off really well. It's so rare. And I know, he comes across as a really complicated character with some internality that we actually kind of care about. Like, the whole affair with Emma thing, I've, I've never honestly been a huge fan of it. But the stuff that I like is when he is dealing with the aftermath of the 
riot or when the riot breaks out, he's just like no nonsense, in charge, competent, uses just enough force to suppress the situation. Like there's a there's a moment when he's chasing down uh the glob, I think is his name, the the guy that's made out of wax who's like on fire and he's chasing down a bus of human tourists. Cyclops is just driving down the street and he just lifts up his visor and shoots him in the back with his optic beams and that's it. The, like he quells the situation. That's he's I... very competent. He's very competent. Well, and we get it's really to, see, cool to see yeah these like overpowered kids who are, you know, they're high on kick and they're out there and they're in the dang music and they're in the, like I feel like an old guy rant coming like oh their clothes and everything no they're like their their powers are enhanced because of the drugs by himself Quentin Quire is a force to be reckoned with but the people that they're fighting have been fighting together for decades whether that translates into comic book time or not let's say you know 10 years um you know if you're going to go up against Wolverine and Cyclops and Beast and Emma Frost um, you know, you're going to have a bad time because they, they've they dealt with all kinds of stuff before. And so while, you know, the kids might have been more powerful in the moment, they aren't as good as fighters. Um, and, you know, they're, I think, very quickly dispatched by the, the grown-ups. Oh, so I want to so I wanna correct myself. I said uh, it was Frank Quietly that that really great uh, Superman art. And he's still dead for the covers. Uh, but the insights were done by Gary Frank, and it was Superman's Secret Origin. Oh, okay. I've actually read that. That was pretty good. Yeah. Both really talented artists. Uh, I feel a little bad I confused them, but oh well. Yeah. Um, so I want to say this one other thing about the, the Grant Morrison X-Men run, and Riot and Xavier's in particular. Uh, I loved Grant Morrison. Like, a couple years ago, if you'd asked me who my favorite comic book writer was, I would have said Morrison easily. Uh, they, this run in particular isn't holding up as well on repeat reads as I want it to. Mm. The stuff that I think is compelling here is still compelling, but some of the more problematic elements are sticking out a little bit more. The, um, gosh, this run has some weird stuff in it that is, like, I'm remembering, like, Beast claims to be gay because he is hurt that a woman broke up with him but he's not actually gay that's the thing that happens in this run and i'm remembering that and it's like that's so weird why why write that um seems kind of like you know 90s sitcom-y yeah a lot of the stuff with with zorn and the special class just doesn't uh the basilisk in particular just makes so many like gross jokes yeah. that I know he's he's like a kid and he's a troublemaker and he's doing it for attention I get all of that but it's unpleasant to read yeah and so I don't know I still like this story quite a bit but divorced from the rest of the run and coupled with you know sort of this early 2000s edginess I'm not sure that this holds up quite as well as I want it to uh Really great Frank Quitely art aside, I just happened to pull up issue 137, page 23, which is when the cuckoos confront Quentin and they give him that psychic whammy and you get like this image of Quentin being torn apart. You get his body and then his skin and then his muscles and then his skeleton and then his nervous system. Like, oh, it's such a good image. And that's the sort of thing that you want Frank Quitely to draw. 
I don't. Maybe Michael Allred could do something like this and and have it look good. But Frank Quitely has such an appreciation for and such a knack for human anatomy that he's really able to break things down and make the human body look interesting and beautiful and grotesque all at the same time. That one image is so good. <laughs> so good. But yeah, no, like, I don't know. Something about Morrison's... And I actually started rereading All-Star Superman the other day and got kind of the same vibe. There's something about Morrison's writing in the 2000s that rubs me the wrong way, and I don't exactly know what to how to put it into words. Uh, and it's sad, because it's like... He was like, they were my favorite for a while. And now I'm like, mm, I, I need to revisit that. And I don't want to, I don't know. Cause I don't have the whole context of all the things that like kind of bothered you on that. But specifically with like the beast thing here, could that almost be a reflection of his own uncertainty with his, or sorry, with their own identity? I mean, maybe quite possibly, Qu quite quite possibly, frankly. <laughs> quite frankly, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know, John. I, th I think I would still recommend you read the rest of the Morrison. Run. No, I want to now. I'm I'm intrigued now. Where before I was like, Cat Beast, not for me, thank. I will say this. When I was working at a comic book store in the early 2010s, I know that a lot of people bought that book. The, the, the new X-Men, Grant Morrison run. I saw a lot of people come in for those books. A lot of people like that book was recommended by a lot of them. And only that, I saw a lot of people come back to pick, to continue picking up the rest of the trade paperbacks. So, I haven't read the whole run myself, but I can tell you as somebody who has seen the sales of those books, John, um, it seems like they're <laughs> worth reading, I guess. <laughs> if nothing else, there are a lot of really good ideas in it. Um, another thing, and part of the reason I think I suggested this story in particular, Morrison visits a lot of ideas that um chris claremont did so yeah. there's a lot of phoenix stuff yeah. there's an alternate dark future there's a big sentinels thing um but the riot at xavier's is something that i don't think really is mirrored in anything else that claremont did at least none of the big stories right not, that, no not that i recall yeah, yeah. it feels like he he took all of Chris Claremont's action figures and and did another story where it like it's like I know all these guys and everyone's kind of like you know familiar and it felt like it belonged in X Men you know mm -hmm. and yeah and yeah this but it but it was its own thing too right yeah I think it's I think it's good it's problematic in some ways and just evoked some weird emotions in me but still good. Anybody have anything else they want to say about this? <laughs> or is that a good ending point? I am happy that I was wrong and going to go back and uh, read more. In particular, I'm still like trying to piece together. I mean, it's going to be the whole rest of my life, like trying to make sense of X-Men continuity. So, <laughs> yep. <sighs> okay. Is, is it time? Is it time to talk about the other one? Oh, oh yes. The one I'm actually excited for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so, uh, a bit of background, this happened live as we were, uh, actually, I don't think it happened while we were recording, I think it happened before, but we were trying to figure out what yeah. to read, and as I was looking for books, I stopped at the G's, and the first title there was Galacta, Daughter of Galactus, and we decided to read it because of that, and that alone. <laughs> yep. Uh, but Galacta, Daughter. 
<laughs> Galacta, Daughter of Galactus is technically a four-issue book. There's a, there's an issue zero, which I think actually, I don't know. I don't think it's important, but I feel like the book... Trust me, it's important. If you forget to read it, it's important. Okay, it uh, sounds yeah. like somebody forgot to read it. Someone forgot to read it, had to go back and read it. Okay, after cool. I, I It just flowed well enough, but I, I felt like the first issue picked up well enough by its on itself. I, I, I don't know. My opinion was like, oh, I guess I didn't need that zero, but I'm going to see when it does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this is written by Adam Warren and penciled, inked, and colored according to uh, the internet by Hector Sevilla Luján. Unless you want to say it real uh, real weird-like, then it's Lugin. Uh, <laughs> Hector Lugin. Um, but I'm pr- I'm confident that it's uh, Luhan, but I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> Galacta, Daughter of Galactus, is the story about Galacta, the daughter of one Galactus. One Galactus? Oh, oh my gosh, again! <laughs> oh, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, and it's just kind of a story about her, uh... And she's not like on a. The story doesn't start out with her on some grand quest. It actually kind of starts out like a like a slice of life book. We find out that she just kind of hangs out on Earth. She's trying very hard to not be like her father. She doesn't want to be a glutton and just eat up galaxies. Um, so she stays on Earth and protects it. And the way she does that is by hunting down non-native life forms on Earth, and eats those. Uh, typically parasites and such. And she. Constantly keeps herself starved because she has an infinite hunger like her father. And, you know, she actively fights against that to not devour that world because she likes it. It's quaint. It's interesting to her. So the story actually starts to pick up once she starts being really hungry and she doesn't understand why she's just constantly so much more hungry than normal. And until she like scans herself and finds out that she has some sort of cosmic tapeworm inside of her. So, so she travels across, uh, you know, earth trying to figure out what to do, how to satiate that hunger. And she goes to the fantastic four. Cause she's trying to find somebody who has used the ultimate nullifier until she realizes that, Oh, she can, she figures out where it's hiding where Galactus has hidden it prior to that bit of thought. She actually tries to contact her father, who doesn't answer in on his uh, like cosmic voicemail or whatever she calls it. Yeah, uh, which kind of frustrates her. Which you know, pretty relatable. Yeah, parents that never clear out their inboxes. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. Um. So so she goes finds the ultimate on the fire, and it's about she's she's about to use it on herself, which is it's the only thing that could hurt her after. Talking to the Fantastic Four. She is stopped by Galactus. And Galactus tells her that no. Like don't do that. Because it's not just a tapeworm. It's a. Yes it is a parasite. Um, I think it's like an interdimensional type thing. But it's not a tapeworm. It is essentially the same way that she was birthed from Galactus. In other words she's pregnant. And that's the story. (laughs) And that's where the story ends. Yes. And it's never revisited. Galacta is not... She's non-canonical. She never shows up again in anything. <laughs> so, yeah. there's That's pretty much the book. There's it's, it's four issues. It's really not that long. There's some 
like fun stuff that happens in it. She when she's talking to the Fantastic Four, she she mentions how like listening to 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 Reed Richards, it's kind of like having an ant explain science to you or some something like that. So like she slows down time or whatever. Like how like it well, during one of his words, and then uh, that's when she figures out where it is. I think my favorite bit is when uh, she walks in on Wolverine fighting a bunch of like parasites that may have been harvested by aim. I can't remember the exact specifics of it. And she realizes that, you know, his mutant power is like rehealing. And she's like, Oh, I could keep him like as a snack and I could just feed off of him. And then like he would heal himself. And then she's like, no, but that wouldn't be cool. Uh, That would make me as bad as my own father. But what if I cloned him or even bet or even better? What if I cloned him and combined them? With like ego and made a giant self-healing planet that I could just feed off of. And then she has this vision of ego, the living planet, both Wolverines, and it just has sideburns. <laughs> it's this big, angry sideburn planet. <laughs> <laughs> I was I wasn't on board until you mentioned the sideburns, and now I'm like, okay, all right, let him let him finish. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, but then she realizes that something about X gene whatever it doesn't like scale properly so it would implode on itself or something so he's a he's a snack but he's not her snack no i mean he's a snack. i mean he's a well, wolverine is a snack though he's bite size she calls him cute she does I think, doesn't she she likes yeah. burly men apparently oh yeah and her like nickname is galley which is kind of cute yep and another thing is throughout the book uh i i I say throughout the book, but I, I want to say almost specifically on every freaking page is like a little social media Twitter post of whatever she just said two panels ago. <sighs> yep. And it's real. Yeah. It's real. A, real. a real Twitter account. Yeah. You can go to Twitter. You can go to Twitter.com slash galley underscore girl. Oh, and gosh. her account is real. But she has not posted since 2009. <sighs> So Aldo, what are the redeeming qualities of this before Steven and I get to the work of <laughs> taking it apart? Uh, I think Gal- uh, Okay, let me say this. I think Gally's character is a cute character. I like the idea of her being like this, the daughter of this insatiable planet-eating Goliath, and she just doesn't want to be that. And so she kind of goes explicitly out of her way, uh, essentially starves herself days on end to help kind of protect this planet even though she understands exactly why her father wants to eat that planet so much that's it that's that's all i have (laughs) here's what i will say before we get into it um the the art the art is not poor but the way that they conveyed it it it, guys it felt like it was felt like porn this was like (laughs) It felt like naughty. It felt gross. I felt like like I was an old man, and this was this was gross. Like her expressions, like this was this was done by like the artist. It felt like this was like his pervy stash that he drew by himself at home, and he just got the excuse to like make it you know Marvel themed. You know. Well, then, John, I'm gonna recommend you don't visit uh, Luhan's uh, uh, what's it called Deviant Art page. <laughs> yeah, in my research, I just got to this other site where he's like, my name is Hector Sevilla Lujan, born in Chihuahua, Mexico. I, I call myself a digital berserk. He's Mexican? Because when I start... Yeah, man. So that's something else you got to answer for, Aldo. Oh. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
Wow. That's Aldo one, John and Steven one billion. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Listen, uh, on on behalf of my people, we we happily uh accept and keep <laughs> Hector uh, Luhan. <laughs> I I just I mean, and probably in my own uh, racial ignorance, I just assumed he was some sort of Hispanic, but did not look into it further. Well, he's from Chihuahua, it yeah. says. I, I have been I fooled guess. before and have been heavily disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> if it helps, there's a weird mixed bag of people from Indiana. We have Steve McQueen, and we have uh, David Letterman, but then we also have Michael Jackson. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and Larry Bird, and, the, and then, like, Jim Davis, who did Garfield, so it's it's a whole thing. Yeah. 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 Steven, what do you have to say about this book? So, it's funny, uh, I actually, for a while, thought that this was uh, drawn by Adam Warren. Yeah, he does art, too. Yeah, Adam Warren is probably best known for a graphic novel series called Empowered. Oh, yeah. I, uh... I used to like that book a lot when I was much younger, and I don't know how I feel about it now. I've never read it. I've heard good things about it, but I also know that it is drawn with a very particular demographic in mind. Dudes. Well, specifically dudes who like to see sexy women in not very much clothing getting tied up in compromising situations. It's it's that, yeah, it's that conflict I have. Like, this is part of the reason why, like, I don't want to revisit it. Um, I, I, I feel like I just kind of want to keep it in my past. Which I don't know what that says about me, but whatever. Uh, this isn't this isn't my therapist session. You guys ain't charging me, uh, but I I feel like part of my conflict with that book, on premise alone, is the idea of a man writing a book about a woman being empowered. I feel like that's yeah. almost mansplaining empowerment. But granted, I haven't read that book. I haven't reread that book in almost a decade. So who knows? I might be totally off base. We didn't we didn't have mansplaining as a term back then. <laughs> when was mansplaining coined? People were just dirtbags, but we couldn't be that specific. Yeah. But yeah, like so coming into this and realizing, oh, this is an Adam Warren thing, like, that's maybe not fair, but you know, Galley is coded as a teenage girl. Yeah. Right. And specifically, she's coded as a teenage girl. Who ends the series pregnant? Yeah. Okay, Stephen. Okay, listen. I'm yes. gonna I'm gonna give you the. Uh, I've heard this argument a lot of times, and I've heard enough times. I'm starting to believe it myself. But uh, Aldo's about to lose an argument. Listen, she's young, but she's a thousand years old, Stephen. It's fine. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a really great Prozy D skit. Prozy D's a voice actor. He. Uh, does a lot of skits on YouTube. He, I think, kind of got internet famous on Vine. Yes. And he has this great skit where he, like, is pretending to be anime characters and people are trying to guess the age of these anime characters. And he's like, my name is uh, Kiriko. I am a former soldier and now I work in a post office. And they're like, uh, 30? I am 16. What? Uh, okay, fine. My name is Soski Boske. I am a piano prodigy who is not able to play the piano anymore for uh, like personal tragedy. Life is a series of pedals uh, floating down a river. Uh, 18? 
I'm 12. Who talks like that? Yeah. And then he goes over, I'm a little baby girl. Ugh. Zero? I'm a thousand. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's... It, the writing is unnecessary. Like, there's a thousand words when six would do. Yes. Because the concept of, like, Galactus having a daughter. She decided to, you know, protect the Earth from different... You know, because you don't really see, like... The things that she's consuming, you don't see them in other, you know, you don't, of course that would be an issue, but for some reason or another, like, people are okay, because under the, you know, behind the scenes, she's eating it, eating up all these foreign contaminants. So, like, there was a, like, that's not a bad idea, and that, that makes Galactus a bit more interesting, another dimension to him, but it's gross, it's just, it's just terrible, and the writing is just, like, unnecessarily wordy, like I said, and, like, you know, using big words, like, you know, whenever they can, like, to try to sound more verbose. And it's just like, it just felt obnoxious. Yeah. And she's... I'm just, I'm just grossed out by the costume. And it's just disgusting, like, how she has, like, a little bit of drool in most panels. It's just, she's it's hungry. just, it's just dirty. It's just, <laughs> what'd she say? I said, because she's hungry. She's hungry. Not as hungry as the fans. <laughs> Sorry, thirsty. No, no, the they're fans. thirsty. She's hungry. <laughs> Yeah. Gross. Yeah, I'm not really going to fight you on any of that stuff. Uh as, yeah. as as somebody who just like consumes a lot of anime, this is very like eh to me, which is a little unfortunate, uh but I try to recognize that. I try to recognize my weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, it that's, but, it, yeah. it felt like, oh okay, I know what they're going for. I I, I don't will like it. I will agree though that specific especially not specifically I do agree with you on everything you've said, but especially on the good. how verbose this book is. It is there's a lot of words and she's not saying a whole lot. Yeah. So wordy, yeah. uh, <laughs> and not like in the good wordy way, not like the Brian Michael Bendis way. Which even then I'd it, still it argue like, is are not. Are you trying to convince good. us that she's smart because smart people don't talk this much? No, exactly. So yeah, I don't know. I, I'd have to agree with you on that. It's a it's wordy. She she talks a lot, doesn't say a whole lot. She could. She just whines a whole lot, and her Twitter yeah. in that book comes out as, "I would not follow." She's so whiny of that, and the fact that she's addressing everything to her daddy is also another level of creepy that I'm just not okay with. Just yeah, nah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I also thought it was a little weird because she is definitely coded as a teenager. She has. I don't yeah. believe she told the Fantastic Four how old she is, if she has an age, but uh. Uh, Johnny Storm was definitely he was he was definitely liking what he saw. Uh, he's a creep too. In my mind, like Johnny Storm is like a uh, he like a creepy uncle. reality TV. He's like a reality TV. So like he would have been a frequent guest on the Kardashians. Like that's kind of mm. in my mind what Johnny Storm is like. I feel like Johnny Storm is like that uh, uh, that uncle that like gives gives his daughter a ride and then like jokingly flirts with her friends. Oh gosh, but, yeah. He doesn't act on it, Stephen. But he jokes but a lot. if it was given the chance, Aldo? Maybe. maybe, maybe. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I think um, unless anyone has any other points to bring up about this trash, we should run <laughs> it. And, uh... Okay, I, I feel like we glossed over this point. I want to make sure that we hit this. This is a story <laughs> about a teenage girl with daddy issues who has a parasite, a tapeworm... And the punchline is, no, she's actually pregnant. Cue laugh track. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I feel like House did it first, but I don't know the exact airing history of House <laughs> episodes. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know you said we glossed over it, but like, I, I, I Steve, what do you want me to say? Yikes! <laughs> what part of I watch a lot of anime, and I'm dead inside? Did you not pick up on? I feel like you glossed over that. <laughs> All those like, I like my garbage. I mean, I don't. I mean, yeah, I do. One but... guy's trash. <laughs> you do like your garbage. I do. I watch a lot of garbage. I had a friend. I had a. I was talking to a friend about some of the anime I watch. I was talking a lot about how like a lot of it is like some of it's maybe a seven out of ten, but I feel like a lot of the stuff I watch is like a five out of ten. And he's just like, "Why would you not watch the stuff that's like a seven or higher? Why do you watch so much?" I'm like, "I don't know. Why do I eat McDonald's? Why? I don't know." <laughs> is a- anime is that convenient, and it's the path of least resistance. Yeah, you know it's going to be there for you at three a.m. <laughs> An- anime is like li- anime is like living like 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 it's like trying to eat at City Creek. There's like a couple good restaurants, but oh my gosh, there's so much garbage on the way there. Like, why not? <laughs> Dude, uh, you walk half a block off of City Creek, go to Pretty Bird, and have the best friggin' chicken sandwich of all. Okay, time. I'm just gonna say, Pretty Bird's a little overrated. I'm just gonna say Aldo is a little overrated. Uh Whoa. absolutely true. Clothing store, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, really, it's so good. I, I I had it when it launched, and I had it for like months after it came out. It was okay. <sighs> okay, I think we need to rank this story. Does the magic go it's, away now? I'm questioning. It's just it's just spicy Chick Fil A. I I don't know what you want me to say. Oh, it's so much it's better. It's spicy Chick Fil A without the homophobia. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to feel guilty going through the drive-through. I mean, I don't go. No. What? No. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, listeners, if you're ever in the if you're ever in Utah, you're in the downtown area, go to Pretty Bird. It's it's definitely worth tasting once. Or you go to this um, Venezuelan crap. Or or go to superhumanregistrationpodcast.com and leave us a comment. <laughs> <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's 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 rank these stories, huh? Let's do it. Why are you challenging me? Why 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 are you so aggressive? <laughs> So, currently we have 120 stories on the list. Let's grab a couple and give people an idea of where we're at. Uh, I'm going to about... <sighs> number 60. What's our midpoint? It is currently... Ooh, number 60 is the original 1984 Secret Wars event. Mm. Neat. Yeah, that's that's what we consider the middlest story at the moment. Interesting. Actually. Which, the, the, like, meh and not good stuff doesn't start for a while. So we have... I don't want to read more garbage, but we we should pad our list a bit. <laughs> like <laughs> we're gonna have like a lot of like I mean, there's always gonna be stuff added to the app, but at some point we're gonna really have to like you know wade through the crap because we would have read all the good stuff. I mean, we got we got some more good. Our problem is we don't we don't uh, we're not willing to read all 100 and something issues of Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, that's definitely our problem. I mean, well, we Definitely. we want to, but it doesn't make for a good podcast. It was Spider Man again this week. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, that's the start. It started Spider Cat, Spider Cast, <laughs> the amazing Spider Cast. <laughs> I would put, I would bet folding money that that already exists in the world right now. <laughs> Probably, I'm looking it up. You guys decide. What are we ranking first? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do Ride at Xavier's. Okay, let's do it. Ride at Xavier's. <sighs> Again, I think it's good, but it kind of makes me feel squicky a little bit. And 
that makes me want to put it somewhere around where Wolverine is. I'm not a uh, English major. Can you tell me what squicky is? You can intuit it. it. It's what? How does the word squick make you feel? Guilty and awkward, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You nailed it. First try. Well done. Wait, where is Wolverine, though? It's around uh... the. It's around the. Yeah, forty-one. The racist line. <laughs> I thought that was. I actually thought Wolverine was a little bit higher than that, but I kind of stand by it. Yeah. I, that's that's about where I want to put it. Yeah. A line of racism, I remember. I would put it below Thunder in her veins and above Angela Asgard's assassin. That's a uh, forty-four. Yeah. And some of those, th- those are higher than like you know some of them that. I, well, Craven's last hunt was creepy. Now, now I'm looking at these. Now I yeah I'm saying like forty-four. It becomes the new forty-four. I am okay with that. Yeah, I am. Like, just... I I feel actually pretty good about that. I am surprisingly okay with it. Cool. Wait, is this what you guys feel like every week? Uh, every day I wake up. <laughs> all you do is win <laughs> i wake up every morning feeling like p diddy ah uh, there it is <laughs> I was waiting for it. okay so that was that was it that was easy um how about galacta all right rolling the heck down oh i was gonna say right up right below god butcher right above runaways <laughs> no you weren't no i wasn't you're right uh okay surprisingly and honestly i was actually thinking below but in the range of mary jane homecoming seriously i I legit like below aranya like right above five ronin you know the book that made psylocke a prostitute i'm uh i'm saying we put it at 118 (laughs) below ultimate wolverine versus hulk whoa i did not like this book at all (laughs) Evidently not. Wait, would you would you rather read Marvel Zombies than this? Uh, yeah, because that had some kind of a plot, and there's a Spider-Man in it. I mean, that was a Wolverine in this one. Meh. Wolverine's on everything. Steven, I feel like we need you on this one. <laughs> Do it. Here's the thing. I think I think Teen Pregnancy Galacta side plot. I mean, side plot. That's the main plot. That's not a parasite. Like, it's life. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, though. Parasite's a pretty apt analogy for children. Yeah, but you can't say it until you have three. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fair. I rescind my statement. No, uh, no, the no. The defense would like fine. to have the defense's own statement uh, removed from court. <laughs> removed from it's the record. So t- it's like, no, like everyone, everyone's kids suck, except <laughs> yours, and yours are the best. And and even if they do the same thing the other kids do, it's different because they're yours and you love them and they're the best and and everyone else everyone else sucks, and it's really and you can't and you can't tell anyone else that they suck and their parenting sucks and their children are garbage, uh, because you don't do that. But like, other kids suck. Can't do that. But like, what if you did though? <laughs> well, I I would think that you'd get you know. Yell that outside of a playground, you yeah. know. I I would say don't listen to any advice I give you as the resident, uh, single childless member of the podcast. No, that's that, see that makes it. I'm not trying to say like, well, I have because uh, I hate people who are like, well, I you won't know until you're a parent because yeah. that's that's dumb. No, but I'm also saying uh, my advice is bad, and there's evidence to support it. <laughs> I just. Oh. If my advice was right, then why am I still single and childless? 
Well, some people uh, end up end up with child. Uh, never mind. We don't All have right. to. Uh, anyways, this isn't my therapy so, session. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> teenage baby mama Galactus story. Like, how cringy is it? Very. And I'm trying to decide if it's if it's more or less cringy than uh, Native American Rachel Dolezal Captain America in Marvel sixteen oh two. Man, you really hate that. You really hate that. Yeah, like, that's that's kind of where I'm going. I don't like this book very much, but I don't think it's... I don't think it's morally reprehensible. Mm. It's just tasteless. And that even that might be too hard on it. Like, it's almost too boring to be bad. Because, <laughs> like we pointed out, it's so wordy. Um, yeah, they, all those words and they said nothing. I feel like the cringiest part of this is the ongoing Twitter. Yeah. I don't know. I think the cringiest part of it is the teenage pregnancy bit. And maybe, oh, cringe is maybe the wrong word for that, though. Yeah, I don't th- see. That's the thing. I don't think that's cringe. I think specifically we're talking about cringe. That Twitter yeah. thing is cringe. Uh, yeah. Okay. The Twitter thing is cringe. The the most of my animosity towards this book comes from the last panel of the last issue. Yes, I. Out. Yes, I don't blame yeah. you though. But that's like, oh gosh, I don't know. It's almost like the 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 story where. It, the whole thing was a dream, so none of it mattered. It's like, the ending is stupid, so all of it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm just going to remind you, uh, Wolverine, Sideburn, Living Planet. Between 1602 and Extremists. Oh, no, then. that's fine. I think that's enough to bump it above uh, 1602. Yes. I, like, I don't I don't think it goes... Like, Kilmatsuo had Wolverine, like, carving bits of Matsuo off, like, over a period of years decades gross and off yeah super gross and off-putting um the the x-men noir has you know the casual racism among the police being like very uncritically portrayed like there you get too much lower than that oh and then of course civil war had black goliath uh getting buried in the ground in the tarpon chains yeah i mean i was also gonna say uh, also x-men noir had uh you know uh, Magneto, a uh, survivor of the Holocaust, acting as some sort of leader of a fascist police force. Yeah, no, like, all of that stuff is not great. Um, and I don't think Galacta is that bad, so it doesn't belong in the same camp. And I think Extremis is as low as it is because Tony Stark is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I'm willing to accept that. That Anyway, that's where my vote is. I'm glad that democracy screws me after the election. <laughs> I'm fine losing this fight because the big one's already been won. <laughs> Dude, I got this went closer to you than it was to Aldo's because Aldo had this around like seventy nine. Thanks, white people. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Speaking of thanks, white people, our next episode is going to be our Thanksgiving special. Thanks, white people. Here's the worst part. The worst part is like. We've done my family history. We've been white a long time. <laughs> and so I can't even be like, hey, but, hey, but, because I'm only like, I'm like less Native American than Elizabeth Warren. So, you know, it's, it's, it's white way back, you know. It's mayonnaise white. Yeah. <laughs> I like Elizabeth Warren. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, you know. Yeah. On a scale of, uh, on a scale of mayonnaise to Pico de Gallo, how white are you? <laughs> <laughs> See, but that I like both. <laughs> I, 
I seriously, like, I know this is, like, oversimplification of a really complex issue, but I don't get how people can try food from another culture that is so stupidly good and then be like, well, I'm t- I'm keeping the salsa, but I'm kicking out everyone who made it and came up with it. Like, I, I, I know that, that, that that's, like, I, I don't want to be, like, insulting, but, like... Jeez, like expand your horizons and realize like there are there are good things that you know America steals from other cultures and like I just uh, I feel you. I haven't finished Taco Chronicles. I really like it. <laughs> but it. I have to. I can't do anything else when I'm watching it because I don't speak Spanish. I, I know like every twentieth word, and it's not enough to like follow. And yeah. Mm-hmm. But when the narrator comes on speaking as the taco that they're describing, it's fantastic. Fantastico. Steven, what are we reading? Yeah, uh, so Thanksgiving special, which is a thing that we're apparently going to do. And we're actually Um, doing it like ahead of the holiday too. Is it going to come out the week of Thanksgiving? It should come out the week of Thanksgiving. Awesome. uh, Assuming Steven can can, uh, edit this during Black Friday. You know know what a shopaholic Steven is. Oh yeah. With all that that money that that Chuck Chuck, uh, gives them. Yeah. He's first through the wall. First through the wall at uh, Walmart at twelve oh one. Yeah, Chuck Sprightly is really, really uh, padding that paycheck for Stephen. What about uh, us? Letting it, letting it trickle down to Stephen, but somehow it stops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, you're not missing out on anything. Stephen, is there something you're so not telling us about well, Chuck yeah. Sprightly? <laughs> <laughs> so for our next episode. We're going to read a trio of single-issue stories all about Thanksgiving. Uh, So we're going to start with the Vision and Scarlet Witch series from 1985, issue number six, called The Mutant Who Came to Dinner. And it's the Avengers having dinner with the Scarlet Witch's dad, also known as Magneto the War Criminal. (laughs) So a typical American Thanksgiving. I mean... I think more of us nowadays are feeling like Thanksgiving dinner is, you know, a war crime in and of itself. Associate with war criminals, well, and that too. <laughs> so we, even before we had to do, you know, quarantine and everything, we've been doing Thanksgiving on our own. Um, just, you know, family will go to other family, and we won't get to like, you know, see everybody. So it's like, forget it. We're gonna have steak. We're gonna do something else because I think Thanksgiving food was based on a dare, and came out of a necessity. It was like if they, you know, had tastier stuff around, they would have gone with that. But they had to have, you know, stuffing. I love stuffing. Yeah, I know I'm in the minority here of like, you know, everyone in the world who likes stuffing. And then there's me who's like, gravy is gross. And I'm the only one, but. I I have stuffing year round. Anyway, Stephen, what are the other books? (laughs) This is the second issue we're going to read. There's apparently a Spider-Gwen Thanksgiving special. Spider-Gwen, number 14, I think this is volume 2. Volume 1 of Spider-Gwen also came out in 2015, so that gets confusing. Mm. Um, But Spider-Gwen, number 14, it's a Thanksgiving special. And lastly, I'm going to get in there before John has another story. Uh, We're going to read Deadpool, number 37. This is the 2012 series of Deadpool. Uh, Yeah, it's an Axis tie-in. I don't know anything about Axis. Well, let me Axis you a question. Okay. <laughs> remember folks thanks for tuning in and remember if aldo and i are dead you know where to point the police
Yeah. Uh, I think Axis had something to do with like the heroes being villains and the villains being heroes. You know, girls who like boys who like girls who look like boys. I don't. Girls who like boys who like girls who look like boys? That's what I heard. Yeah, it's that song. It's a reference. Girls don't like boys. Girls like cars and money. No. No. The boys watch the girls, so the girls watch the boys who watch the girls go by. John, John, you know what song I'm talking about, right? I know, I know I've heard the song, and I'm struggling to come up with the melody. It's by Blur, Girls and Boys. Man, I feel like a woman. Women and men, they might be giants. Well, see, now I have a Bob's Burgers song stuck in my head, and so it's, yeah, I'm, I'm off the rails. I, I, well, no I see I'm alone on this one. Like in so many other things. <laughs> Thanks, David. <laughs> well, Chuck Spratley's going to send us to diversity training, but anyway, you guys have a good weekend. <laughs>